G'day guys, and welcome back to another Glory Days episode and another delve into the 1980s when Aubrey Tigers broke a 16-year premiership drought in the Ovens and Murray Football League to take home the 1982 premiership. Before we start, a massive thank you to episode sponsors, Aubrey Football and Netball Club, Brendan Wenke, SG Hiscock, David Doolan at DMP Asset Management Group and Tom Doolan at Republican Melbourne Function Venues and Corporate Event Facilities. Okay, let it rip, Robbie. There it is. There it is. The finish, Well, there's the final sign. We're the crowd. 19-11, 1.25, have beaten Aubrey. 14 goals, 14.98. And what a great comeback, Graham. After a 15-goal defeat two weeks ago at the hands of the Tigers, Wodonga have come back and defeated Aubrey. If you're a modern-day Aubrey Tigers supporter, you've enjoyed a golden run of success in the last 12 seasons, winning seven premierships. But back in the early 80s, it was hard work. Little success since the 1966 premiership. The Tigers had a shattering grand final loss in 1981. But they picked themselves up. They found a steely resolve that it would not happen again. They found a passion and a desire that nothing would stop them. This is Tiger Tales, Episode 1, Tiger Jackpot. The Aubrey Tigers approached the 1982 season with one thing and one thing only on its agenda, redemption following its 1981 grand final loss to Wodonga. History will record Aubrey winning the 1981 second semi-final by 92 points and then two weeks later lost to the same opponent Wodonga by 27 points in Ovens and Murray football's biggest finals turnaround. The last Tiger Premiership was 16 years in the past when former Collingwood Premiership captain Murray Wiedemann led the Tigers to a 55-point win over Wangaratta in the 1966 decider. The 1981 Grand Final was the Tigers' first Grand Final appearance since 1966. In 1976, after finishing minor premiers, they were outed in straight sets after leading the preliminary final at one stage by six goals against Wangaratta Rovers. The recruiting committee, led by Peter Miller, had been extremely active over the summer months, with half a dozen new recruits arriving at the sports ground. The headline act would be Peter Gorski from Lakeside Reservoir, a strong, fearless, bustling ruck rover who was superbly fit and a beautiful kick. Steve Doolan, the cousin of coach Tom and David Doolan, joined from Wangaratta after starting his football with Wodonga Juniors and then on to Rutherglen. He was a centreman with a great ability to find the ball. Peter Gorski tells how he became a Tiger. I was playing a Reservoir Lakeside and I did a pre-season at Collingwood. Got through the last knockout stage of whether they keep you or not. I walked into a room and they just said to me, sorry you didn't make it, no reasons why. So I went back to Lakey's. I was going to give the game away. I was 20. I'd won the two previous club best and fairest senior level at Lakey's. I was going to give it away and a player by the name of Brad Dunbar, prior had played with Aubrey and he'd come back to Reservoir Lake. He got talking to me, said, oh, I've had enough of it all and I just want to give it away. And he said, well, what about a change? I'll contact Peter Chuck Miller 
up at Albury, it's a great club, it's really professional. I'm sure they'll give you a run. So he contacted Chuck. Chuck phoned me and said, you know, we're interested in having a chat to you. So he was my first contact. And I had a few phone calls back and forth to, to him. And then I had a phone call from Tom. And they said, come up for a barbecue before pre-season that year. So I said, okay. And I was working in a family business in the in the truck tipping, manufacturing trailer bodies and tipping bodies. I thought, no, I've had enough of that too. I was part of a very insular ethnic family upbringing, so I was happy to get out. I went up, had a barbecue, had a tennis, met the boys, and they were all friendly, easygoing. It was that country lifestyle thing, approach of, of people. They're laid back, casual, easygoing, and that's what sold me going up there. Waller's 1980 and 81 Premiership stars Brendan Wenke and Phil Goody were lured into town while Richard Fisher, a tall and strong forward, was crossing over from Wodonga. John Brown, a school teacher, had arrived from Cora Rubber Glen. Wenke explains why he went and the warm but tough welcome. Two premiership years playing for a while. Phil Goody and myself got asked to come and try it for Albury pre-season. They wanted to bolster their squad for the 82 year and then also knew David. Uh, we worked as accountants together and Tom and the Dillon family were well-known to each other over the years from Burham and Walla rivalry. Yeah, really, I, I liked uh, Terry and Peter Cross. The you know, boys, they were fantastic. Very welcome in the club. Uh, Rod Coelho Co was always a good mentor and friend and also really enjoyed playing alongside Steve Big Nose Dillon. He was tough as nails and just a real good guy. To, you know, redemption was sort of a key key message that went through. And I remember pre-season, uh, Phil, Phil and I rocked up coming from Walla, so it was pretty, pretty casual training out there. And then uh, first pre-season training in January, you know, middle of summer that right you guys up Monument Hill do that first and then there was you know sprints around Norial Park you know a few of us threw up afterwards so that was a big introduction to uh, O&M football and, and training under Tom. So 1982 yep it was all about redemption and Tom Doolan who was reappointed for his second term as coach at Tigerland was hell-bent on achieving that and recruited accordingly as he explains. Well obviously very disappointing in 81. You know, winning a final by that much and then losing, but we did have problems. Pace, pace was the thing we, we went for, you know, so we brought a couple of young blokes up. We had a few young blokes in the seconds and the thirds who came up. Uh, Brito came up. He was very quick. Neville Hensel, we we already had Neville, but he was, he became a, he's a speedster. And Barry Gipp was the other local that we got. So that was your pace sort of, and then Johnny Brown was, who played in the final was a lippy little rover. And Brendan Winky also was another one. None of those blokes were slow. And we did recruit one slow bloke who was Steve Doolan. He was probably as good as any recruit we got because he was possibly the best mark for his height you'd ever see. And then didn't miss goals. Played every game and was, you know, one of our great players for the year. We had David, the brother, who's extremely quick. So basically pace was the... I was just looking at the eight players that we brought in. Hughes, Gorski, they were, weren't slouches. Gorski won the medal, so he could play a bit. And here's he could have easily won a medal. We made sure we recruited in the right areas and then just get on with it. And the, and, and all the other players were good players. I mean, Phil Bight, who we recruited the year before, was a bit of a gun. You know, and then we had the old crosses and the tailors and the buckles and the, all the rest of them. You know, they were all big Trevor Leslie. We had, we had a pretty, it's a pretty good, when you look at the side on paper, the other young bloke that came in was Richard Fisher, who just gave us an extra marking forward. While Rod Coelli says that a lot of players started their own training not long after the 1981 grand final loss. Certainly left a huge disappointment. Obviously, in 82, we sort of made a pat very early that we weren't going to lose 82. I think the first thing I remember about it is probably the beginning of October, you know, that we'd be 15 or 20 of us every Sunday used to run out to the water 
waterworks from the sports ground. Girls used to come out, we have a picnic out there and a barbie and then um, come back in. So we did that basically for three months before the pre-season even started. So we're pretty keen. There's some um, very determined people in those days when you start talking to the two crosses and Peter Taylor and of your likes. Lyle Stewart was the reserve grade coach and Greg Chappell in charge of the thirds. Former Howlong footballer Brian Curphy, a highly respected figure at Tigerland, was elected president for his first term after just one year on the board. Brian Curphy explains. Came on the board in 81. Ron Neal was president. Uh, 82, they couldn't get anybody to be president. I took over with Robbie Lethbridge as my secretary and Regan and Miller as the vice presidents. And we won the, the premiership and I thought, how easy is this? I was 29. I was a young president. Lethbridge and myself were known as the Cracker Brothers. Uh, so we had a bit of fun. I made the observation when I took over as president that there was no reason why Aubrey shouldn't play in the finals every year with the resources that they had available to them. And it hasn't proved to be too far wrong when they played in 10 grand finals in a row. Sports ground wasn't the pristine condition it is today. I can recall a photo of the Border Mail and just like a paddy field. It was wet and full of water and it was putrid. It smelled something terrible, horrible. April 3 was round one of the 1982 season and the Tigers made the trip to Myrtleford and came home 71-point winners with Peter Cross starring with seven goals. New recruits, Peter Gorski, Brendan Wenke and Phil Goody all impressed with two goals each while coach Tom Doolan booted three and big Daryl Bakes four. Aubrey's great start to the season continued when they belted Wangaratta by 117 points at home with Darrell Bakes kicking 12 goals. Tom Doolan had 36 possessions and nine marks, while Peter Cross, David Doolan, Neville Hensel and Peter Gorski dominated the midfield as Aubrey kicked 17 second half goals in a total of 27. Round three was a trip to Yarrawonga with the Pigeons starting their season with a win and a loss. When they kicked the first goal of the second half, they extended their lead to 16 points. However, positional changes made at half-time clicked into gear for the Tigers as they booted 11 goals in the third quarter without star forward Daryl Bakes, who didn't return after half-time. Phil Byatt stepped up with eight goals. Rod Coelli and Mark Britton shut down the Yarrawonga forwards while Jay McNeil, Neville Hensel and Richard Fisher starred. David Doolan tells the story how a midweek drinking session by McNeil and Paul Edwards ended up with a good result after some clever piecework from his good self. Tom was taking me down to training one Thursday night mid-season. He said, oh, I'm going to have to bloody get Jay and Eddie. They've been on the grog on Wednesday night. I'm going to drop the bastard to the seconds. So we get the training, get changed. Tom goes off and starts arranging things. Jay and Eddie turn up. So I say, boys, you better come around a couple of laps with me. So I briefed them and told them to get their stories right. So, of course, Tom calls everyone in, sets up a few exercises and says, oh, Jay, Eddie, come over here. Uh, long, long story short, he, uh, they've got their stories aligned and how it was all a total misunderstanding and they weren't on the grog at all. So we go home after training because Tom lived just down the hill from mum and dad's. He said, you told them, didn't you? I said, what did you expect me to do? I said, I've just done you a favour. He said, yeah, you have, well done. Well, because he didn't have to bloody drop Jay. Next up, the Anzac Day blockbuster on a Sunday against Wodonga at the Aubrey Sports Ground with 4,200 spectators watching a replay of the 1981 decider. 
Tiger coach Tom Doolan was a late omission with Daryl Bakes coming into the side. Bakes impacted immediately, kicking the first three goals of the game. In one of the toughest home and away matches for years, the Tigers won by 23 points. Terry Cross and David Doolan were two of the best, while two last quarter goals from Brendan Wenke got the Tiger faithful up and about. Steve Buckle, Rod Coelli and Peter Taylor dominated down back. Taylor in particular was still hurting from that 1981 decider and he was determined it would never happen again. Really what happened was in 81, I just thought that we were a big chance and we should have got over, but we ended up playing like we didn't want to lose instead of playing what we needed to win. And that was all over. But my own personal experience was as I actually got belted on the day. The ball was coming down pretty hard and furious lots of times, but still that's no excuse. But yeah, so after that day, I got uh, David Turner kicked eight on me that day. So I swore to myself, I'll never, ever let that happen again. And I was in the gym the week after and I swore I was going to make sure I had a great year for the next year. Uh, in terms of personally, no, I needed to get mentally, mentally tougher, not to overlap. I was always physically strong. Just one of my attributes was when everyone went in, and I don't want to brag or anything like this, but when training on a Thursday or a Tuesday, I went out and did two more laps with the ball just to know that I did that bit extra every, every training on. Aubrey confirmed its status as Premiership favourite the following week when they hammered old rivals North Aubrey at Bunton Park by 90 points in front of 2,500 fans. After an even first half, Aubrey turned on the power with a five-goal third term being followed up with a 10 goals to one final term as Peter Gorski, David Doolan, Johnny Brown and Terry Cross dominated the midfield. Ruckman Trevor Leslie was outstanding beating North Aubrey pair Cole Travaskis and Roger Peters hands down as the Tigers moved two games clear on the ladder after five rounds. Club football took a week off as the Ovens of Murray Football League travelled to Bendigo for the first round of the Winfield Country Championships at the Queen Elizabeth Oval with four Aubrey Tigers, Rod Coelli, David Doolan, Peter and Terry Cross in the side. Led by six goals from Lavington's big man, Peter Murray, the Ovens and Murray won by 34 points. The Bendigo side's best player was Greg Williams, who went on to become one of the greatest ever players in the AFL and a Brownlow medalist at Carlton, while former Carlton Premiership player, Peter Dean, starred in the under 17s curtain raiser. Aubrey were at home to Benalla in round six, who were one of six teams level on three wins and two losses in a log jam ladder between second place and seventh. Another best on ground performance from Ruck Rover Peter Gorski led the Tigers to a 41 point win. Daryl Bakes booted six goals with Tom Doolan and Terry Cross in great form. Gorski explains that it took him a while before he got his favourite position as Ruck Rover. When I first went up there the pre-season, the first thing they asked me, they said, what jumper would you like to wear? And I said, well, my favourite number's number five. And as it turned out, Gibbo, the year before, wore number five. Uh, a lot of the, the committee and selectors and the coach were saying to me, these are big shoes to fill if you're going to wear this jumper. So I said, OK, I'll do it my best. And, I mean, it, you can be a judge for yourself. The rest is history. Pre-season was good, and then Tom started talking to me, the coach, and started saying, you know, where do you want to play? And I said, well, I used to ruck, but now I said to Tom I wanted to ruck row. Well, Tom said, well, so do I. And he said also, he said also, Peter Cross does, and there's a, there might have been one or two others. And I said, oh, OK. So anyway, I said, OK, we'll just go with that. And then 
training. We went through training in the first practice match. I said, Tom, where am I playing? He said, you're playing the half-forward flank. Who's on the ball? Peter Cross and I. So I said, right. I was new at the club, so I just accepted that. And then they put me on the ball a bit. A week later, started me on the flank again. And then they put me on the ball more. And then the chairman of selectors, other selectors, said to Tom, we know who should be playing Ruck Rover. That all changed quickly. Problem with Tom was, Tom couldn't run fast enough to run out of sight and fog that he wanted to be Ruck Rover. But mind you, Tom was a very good player. He was a very good player and a, a very good coach. Aubrey travelled down to the Murray River to take on an informed Coral Ruverglen who had fallen one point short of upsetting Lavington the previous week. The Tigers impressed with a four-quarter effort to run out 71-point winners with David Doolan in scintillating form on his wing with 30-plus possessions while Daryl Bakes kicked seven goals. Mark Britton, Trevor Leslie and Richard Fisher were others to shine. With seven straight wins, Aubrey were at home to take on Crosstown rivals Lavington, who were hanging on to fifth place on percentage ahead of Benalla and Yarrawonga. In one of the Blues' best wins since joining the league, they upset the Tigers by 23 points in a high-standard clash, with its small brigade of Bruce Stewart, Ralph Albers and Peter King dominating. Be fair to say King was not the number one pin-up boy at Tigerland, as Tommy Doolan explains. I do remember during that year, actually, um, Peter King became a bit of an arch enemy. In one of the earlier games, Richard Fisher was a young bloke just playing. He was playing the ruck or something. He was on the wing. Peter King just cleaned him like a boat, you know, just wasted him. And I came from about 50 metres away, and I had tried to line up King and, and knock him out. And I raced him with arms up ready to just whack him. Richie Fisher st- stood in front of me, you know, 120 kilos just at the last minute, and I ran to Richard's back. I got knocked unconscious. <laughs> Yeah, just knocked out by your own bloke who didn't see you coming and just sort of stepped across in front of you. It was like running into a tree trunk. So Kingy wasn't one of our most popular blokes. No, he wasn't. Full forward, Daryl Bakes was magnificent, kicking nine goals, while Mark Britton, David Doolan and Richard Fisher stood up as the Tigers failed its biggest test of the season, going down to Lavington. After a tough week on the training track, Aubrey made the trip down to the Hume Highway to take on second-place Wangaratta Rovers, who were beaten the week before by a point after leading by 45 points at halftime against Wodonga. Both sides were in a no-nonsense mood, and boy, oh boy, didn't they deliver. An absolute cracking game, with the Rangarata Rovers this time storming home from a big deficit to fall just six points short as Aubrey snuck home 19-11 to 18-11. Rovers kicked eight last-quarter goals to level the scores before Phil Byatt kicked his fifth goal to seal a last-minute victory. Steve Doolan, Rod Coelli, John Brown and Peter Gorski were the best Tigers. So, at the halfway point of the home and away, Aubrey were on top of the ladder with eight wins and a loss. Two wins and some 30% clear of three teams equal in second place. The reserves were one game out of the top five, while the thirds were in fourth place. Daryl Bakes led the goal kicking with 47 goals. The Queen's birthday long weekend started with the zone final of the Winfield Championships at the Aubrey Sports Ground on the Saturday and then round 10 of club football on the Monday. Aubrey had four representatives in the Ovens of Murray side to take on North Central League. All four were among the best, with David Doolan 28 possessions voted best on ground, while the cross boys, Peter and Terry, both had 25 possessions and Rod Coelli was a colossus down back. In a high-scoring game, the Black and Golds held off the visitors to win 23-20-158 to 21-16-142. Two 
to progress to the semi-final in a month's time against the Riverina Football League. David Doolan starred throughout the interleague campaign for the Ovens of Murray and it also attracted the notice of North Melbourne legendary scout Laurie Dreyer, who got Doolan a pre-season at North next year. Doolan explains. Oh, well, yeah, when you're a young bloke with a reasonable opinion of yourself and you're playing with guys like Johnny Smith and Dennis Sandrell and Tolo and Sharp, Brett Allen, it's not too hard to get a kick if you get in the right spot. Yeah, it was, and people wanted to play, which was really good. Laurie Dwyer, who they used to call Twinkle Toes, got hold of me after the, um, I think it was the North Central match at the sports ground, had a good chat to me and he basically set it up from there. Uh, it was good. I, I was just probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. They had their midfield group there. They had sort of Greg and Schimmelbush, the Crackers, a, a ton of other talent who were sort of in the zone where I'd be looking to play. So uh, I think uh, I just probably picked the wrong place at the wrong time. So the Albury Sports Ground was again the venue for Round 10, with Albury hosting ninth place Myrtleford, who had won just two games. 46 goals were kicked in a free-flowing game, with Aubrey doing enough, winning by 36 points. Phil Byte kicked seven and Peter Gorski five. A kidney injury to Rod Coelli late in the game would see him miss a game through injury the following week. Coelli, who won the Morris Medal in 1981, came to Aubrey after several years at South Melbourne, where he played three senior games and then three years in the VFL at Sandringham. So how did he get to Aubrey? The big co explains. Went to boarding schools in, in my secondary years and I was at Leeton at a Morris Brothers school there and only went to year 10. Since I could play a little bit of footy, most people went to Red Ben Forbes from Leeton, but I went to Assumption College in Kilmore and obviously I was on a scholarship there. While I was there, uh, Steve Buckle, who uh, was from Albury, I got to know pretty well and it was too far for me to go home on weekends, spare weekends, so I used to come to Albury, so I used to enjoy my time in Albury and it was always something that I um, said I'd do when I finished footy in Melbourne, I'd come back and... And, um, live in Albury. So when I did that, well, obviously I had no choice to play other than Albury where Buckle played. Steve and Tom Doolan starred for the Tigers while a sparkling debut in the reserves by Tony Hughes, recruited from Geelong, had the Tiger supporters very enthused. Hughes explains how he became a Tiger after leaving Geelong. Well, it came about I was down at Geelong and been in there for a couple of years in the reserve. Come in Thursday night after footy training, I'd had a few good games in a row and there was a sticker on my locker saying boardroom meeting 7.30 and that just meant to most people that I'd finally got a game in the seniors. So had a shower and whatever and uh, all the boys shook me in, you know, all the, said, well done, you, you know, you deserve it. Got up there and uh, only to find out that they had 42 to pick and only 40 available spots that weekend and wanted myself and another young fellow to go with St Mary's and have a week over there. Being 19 or 20, that didn't sort of sit the way I thought it was going to go and very unlike me because I'm normally pretty calm in that situation but I uh, spat me dummy and went home and packed me bag and, and headed back to Albury. I drove home and uh, not that dad was mad sort of footy in the bush but he, he must have known a couple of contacts and by the time I'd got home he'd had a contact with North Albury and with someone at Albury. I don't remember who exactly it was, um, whether it was Tom Doolan or whatever but anyway that were the two options I had when I got home. That was the Thursday night. I think we finished up talking to Albury. I didn't play that weekend. I sort of decided that Albury's probably where I wanted to be and, and Tom impressed me pretty well as a coach, the way he came across. And uh, anyway, by the time I put my hand up to go there, Tom said to me, um, listen, I can't put you in the ones this week because we've picked sides, but I'm certainly happy to play you in the twos. And I remember my response was, 
do I get me match payments for the twos? And, and uh, I don't know how that come back. But um, anyway, I, I said, yeah, look, I'm just happy to whatever, mate. So let's just get the ball rolling. Turned up at the Albury Sports Ground. Uh, we're playing Myrtleford, I think. And um, so we got changed and went out there. And the game was started pretty well. And I think I'd had, I was in the 20 possession count by about 10 minutes into the second quarter. And the runner came out and uh, he said, uh, all of a sudden, one of the senior blokes has got injured or, or sick or something. So come off and you're in the one. And uh, so we uh, found our way off the ground. And then two hours later, I was back on the ground on the ones and away we went. The Tigers' modest form continued the following week when bottom-placed and winless Wangaratta almost pulled off a huge upset, losing by just two points. The Magpies missed a shot on gold that would have stretched their lead to nine points with two minutes remaining. Darrell Bakes then kicked his fifth goal to seal the narrow escape. Peter Gorski, Peter Taylor and youngster Laurie McGuinness were the Tigers' best. After being unbeaten for the first seven rounds, the Tigers' form had waned, with the round eight loss to Lavington being followed up by narrow escapes against Rovers and Wangaratta ahead of its home game against eighth-placed Yarrawonga. With Yarrawonga leading at quarter time, supporters on the hill and nearby Canbar had reason to be concerned with its flag hopes that a month ago were soaring. Whatever coach Tom Doolan said at quarter time got the job done as Aubrey turned on a brilliant 11-gold second term that put the result beyond doubt. Tom Doolan, Richard Fisher both finished with five golds while speedsters David Doolan, Tony Hughes and Jay McNeil cut the pigeons to pieces for a final margin of 116 points. Steve Buckle spoke about Tommy Doolan, the coach. We considered him to be a great coach. You could say he was hard, but he was fair. He was also a guy that was uh, very inclusive and a good communicator. But he'd give you a ring during the season and, you know, just talk about issues and get your opinions on things. And, you know, you sort of felt as if you, you know, some of it he would have taken on board and some of it he probably didn't take on board. We don't know. At least he made the effort to make contact and, and he was interested in what we had to say and what our opinions were. He was a strong leader. And I, my personal thing was that he, having never coached myself, you know, there's an old term that gets bandied around that coaches have favourites. Well, I'm not sure that favourites is the right word, but they probably had more faith in certain players than they do in other players. How I would sign my time with Tom as a coach was you're pretty much as good as your last game. If you were doing the right thing and it was all going pretty smoothly and we were having a good season, well, you know, he stuck by you and trusted you. If you, I guess if we, a lot of times people go through a bit of a lull and, and lose a bit of form, you didn't get dropped for that, but he stuck with us and he was the best coach, not that I played under many coaches, but for me personally, I, I felt that he was he was great for me and speaking amongst all the boys, I think they all share that opinion. I do remember he had a great final series. He wasn't overly tall to play centre forward, he was, but he was tough and he, you know, he'd hold his ground. And I think he was well respected by certainly within our club, in you know the broader football community in the league. The only downer on a great performance were injuries to Hayden Shippard, Gary French, and a facial injury to Neville Hensel. All three players were out for next week's clash with old rivals Wodonga, but the replacements were very handy indeed, with Rod Coelli back from bruised kidneys and along with Daryl Bakes, who, with Coelli, had missed the previous week representing the VCFL in Canberra, while Brendan Wenke returned after two weeks in the reserves. The fierce rivalry between the two cross-border clubs was immense, and this clash had an extra spice after the grand final result of 1981. 
The Tigers' tackling and ferocity at the ball in the first quarter set up a brilliant second term of eight goals to lead by 59 points at halftime. Trevor Leslie was best of field and Darrell Bakes booted seven goals. The Tigers' defence, led by Steve Buckle, Mark Britton, Terry Cross, Peter Taylor and Rod Coelli, kept the Doggies to just two first-half goals. The final margin of 43 points left the crowd of 2,300 content. The Tigers were a bona fide Premiership favourite. Club football had a bye for the Winfield Country Football Championship semi-final between Ovens and Murray and the Riverina Football League at the Lavington Sports Ground, with again five Aubrey players, Rod Coelli, David Doolan, Darrell Bakes, Peter and Terry Cross all starring. Doolan, that's young David, was again named best on ground with a brilliant piece of play late in the game where he took four bounces, evaded two opponents to set up a goal to John Smith to seal the game by 10 points, 142 to 132 to qualify Ovens and Murray for the final in three weeks against Ballarat. Terry Cross and Rod Coelli were also named in the best in a match that Ovens and Murray at one stage had led by seven goals. Round 14 was a home local derby against third place North Aubrey with 16-year-old Cole Sess Watson making his debut for the Tigers. Aubrey blew the hoppers away with a nine-goal first quarter to cruise home by 60 points. Darrell Bakes kicked eight, including four in the first quarter. Terry Doolan, David Doolan continued their great form with brilliant games, while Terry Cross, Steve Buckle were strong down back. Peter Cross suffered another ankle injury and Peter Taylor a bruised shoulder. Taylor also had moved to Melbourne with a business venture, as he explains. I left at the end of July, so I really played probably the last four games, I guess, coming up from Melbourne each week. So I got the most of the season in, but it was a critical part of the year. And then you had the final. So yeah, I handled that from coming up from Melbourne. But yeah, it was sort of just matter. You had to do what you had to do. And I went up and um, I think I trained some of the nights on a Thursday. But we had a great team and we were gelled and, you know, being, I was professional enough to make sure I did gym work and stuff when I was in Melbourne. So I had a uh, friend of mine who uh, he was the reserves coach out of Bourne combined. I used to train with them on a on a Tuesday. Yeah, it's just to keep hand in and do some skills. And I obviously just run around the laps doing things with uh, just on my own too. Next up was a trip down south to play Benalla, who were one of four teams level on eight wins on the ladder between third and sixth position. The Demons were narrow losers the week before to Lavington and were desperate for a win to stay in contention. Aubrey were without Peter Cross and Tony Hughes, but had Neville Hensel returning along with Brian Dickinson. Despite having more scoring shots, Benalla fell 29 points short, with the Tigers' accuracy, 25 goals and five behinds, being the major difference of which Darrell Bakes kicked nine goals. Steve Doolan had over 30 possessions, and with Tom Doolan and Brendan Wenke in great touch, the Tigers class prevailed. Club football took a break for the Winfield Country Championship final at Ballarat. It turned out to be a disappointing one for the Ovens of Murray, with Ballarat winning a tough encounter by 28 points, with the visitors in accuracy in windy conditions costing them any chance of victory. Darrell Bakes kicked four goals eight, as Ovens of Murray kicked eight goals 20. David Doolan and Bakes, along with John Smith, were the best for the Ovens and Murray in front of 3,000 spectators on a cold Sunday afternoon in Ballarat. Round 16, and at home to Cora Rubberglen, and it will be remembered for one thing and one thing only. Darrell Bakes, goal-kicking bonanza that landed 19 goals. His stats went something like this. 
19 golds, five behinds, one out in the full, 27 kicks, 20 marks, and three hand passes. His quarter by quarter tally was two in the first, six in the second, and another six in the third, before kicking five in the last. His 18th gold brought up his 100th for the year. Was it a record? Well, the answer is no. A legend of the Albury Tigers, Snowy Osborne, kicked 19 against Corowa in the first round meeting of the 1928 season. And then, good old Snowy kicked 23 in the return match. On the same day Snowy snagged 19 goals in the first round, a 16-year-old by the name of Hayden Bunton kicked 11. 11 years later, Doug Strang, whom the Ovens Murray Football League leading goal kicker award is named after, kicked 23 goals for the Tigers against Corowa in 1939. That year, he kicked 129 goals for the season in just 14 matches. For the record, Aubrey in 1982 kicked 13-193 to Corowaverglen 9-8-62. Steve Buckle goes behind the scenes in the lead up to the goal kicking frenzy. Daryl Bates, I think, was sitting on 82 goals during the lead up to the game. Geez, Basie, you, you might have a chance to get your goals on, on Saturday. And, of course, Basie just dismissed it and laughed it off and said, oh, don't be so stupid, you know, kicking 18 goals against Coral, don't be so stupid. Anyway, so I went on and on, and I think Basie probably got a bit sick of it after a while. Anyway, uh, he made this statement. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, if I kick, if I get 18 goals on Saturday, I'll buy a keg on Sunday. We all went, what? Because he had a bit of a reputation for having short arms and long pockets, Daryl. And uh, half-time, he's got eight or nine of the 18 that's required. Right. So then all of a sudden, you could see what was happening. You know, we were we were having a pretty dominant position. And all of a sudden, we go, here's a chance. The first time he shouted, we're going to be, the boys start really, start really looking for him. When he got up into the last quarter, you could see he didn't want to mark it anymore because he, he was petrified that he was going to have to buy this, to buy this keg. I think he kicked 19-2 or something. So he got the 101. So the big, we're excited. We're going, oh, beauty, tomorrow morning, you know, keg, keg shouted by Batesy. Anyway, so Sunday morning we had a bit of a run around and out to the new market we go and here's this 18-gallon keg and we're all partaking of the keg, toasting Batesy and saying, what a great, we didn't think he had it in him, he was going to pay for it. And uh, next thing, his father turned up, old Ernie. And Ernie loved Daryl. Like Ernie had been to church like he normally had on a Sunday morning. He turns up with a Harris tweed sports coat, the shirt and the and the tie and the hat. And we're all going, look at Basie's, what is this keg? And next thing Ernie says, oh, no, he said, I was happy to buy it. After he kicked, Daryl took it. And we all looked at Basie and said, what? Old His father had bought the keg. We all thought, wow, bloody hell. He was taking all the credit and saying, yeah, I'll take the keg, you know. And all of a sudden Ernie turns up and the truth comes out. Mm, there you go. All right. Well, over to you, Daryl. Well, it was one of those days where we had a bit of banter going on and all that sort of stuff. No, it was pretty, it was it was unusual because the week before I was playing in the uh, final of the Evans and Marriott against Ballarat 4-8, I wasn't missing by much and I was saying, gee, you know, don't have to miss by much, but, uh, they, you know, always made an excuse over there that it was fairly windy and the, they moved the goalposts around over there at Ballarat. <laughs> and I, it was one of those days where, you know, you sort of say, geez, 
what am I doing wrong? And only sort of started to get, you know, come out a week later and uh, with a little bit of incentive going on there, I uh, managed to, you know, scores on the board. So, well, I had a lot of big drinkers at the club, you know. I had to sort of look after them. <laughs> They're pretty goal-hungry, a lot of those bunches of people. And, I, could, you know, I had struggled to keep them out of the square. So I thought, well, the one way to do this is I'll just put a keg on offer and or the old man did. So he said, do you, you know, put, we'll put a keg on. And, geez, it changed their attitude a lot. <laughs> it was a good day. We went down there and celebrated. Right, and we, you know, it's, it's, look, it's just a path that we were going down, and uh, you know, not not necessarily that particular day, but a path that you're trying to unite the group and uh, get them fired up. A tougher contest loomed six days after the keg was demolished, with Aubrey taking on Lavington, who in the first 16 rounds were the only team so far to have beaten the Tigers. After an even first half, where Lavington led by three points. The home side completely dominated the third quarter, kicking eight goals to two and lead by 37 points at the final change. Six goals to five by Lavington in the final term gave the Blues a convincing 42-point win. To complete the home and away season, Aubrey hosted third-placed Wangaratta Rovers with Peter Cross, Neville Hensel and Rob Moran coming into the side, replacing Brendan Wenke, Cole Watson and Larry Walls. All were remitted. After a tight contest for three quarters, Aubrey kicked five goals to nothing in the final term to run out 35-point winners. Phil Byte with six and best of field, Terry Cross, four goals, led the charge. It was the seventh loss in seven years for Wangaratta Rovers at the Aubrey Sports Ground. So Aubrey finished minor premiers, two games clear of Lavington, while four teams were equal on points between third and sixth with Benalla the team missing a finals berth via percentage. The Rovers finished third, with Wodonga and North Aubrey making up the top five in fourth and fifth spot. Aubrey seconds missed the finals, finishing sixth, while the thirds qualified in fifth spot. Before the final series started, the Morris medal count was held at the Wangaratta Magpies club rooms with 270 guests on hand to see Aubrey Tigers star Peter Gorski romp home with 22 votes, eight ahead of North Aubrey legend John Smith and Vanilla Rover John Martinello, a further vote behind. Tommy Doolan spoke about Gorski's ability, while Gorski proved just how close he was with the umpires with a funny story from the grand final. He was so athletic. I mean, he was he was sort of like six foot and a bit or one, all that, but he had a long arms. He, he was a mark around. He ran around the ground just picking up marks and kicks. He was sort of... He wasn't a, a great defensive player because he always seemed to have the ball. You know, he was a, he was a very, very talented player. But you don't win Morris medals. I'm a K-1 medal too, so we had a couple of Morris medals in there. It's pretty pretty handy on the side, isn't it? We were fortunate enough to get Glenn James and Rowan Soyes talking to us on the ground all the time, especially Glenn James. One stage, I had the ball in my hand in the centre and I went for a run through the centre. I heard a voice behind me say, bounce it, have a bounce. And I look around, I had a bounce, and it was, it was Glenn James. Telling me, you're clear, you bounce. I had a bounce and then ran down and kicked the ball down the ground. It was just a phenomenal Lovey boys would have enjoyed that, Pete. Oh, yes. I don't know if many of them noticed. Ian Gambold from Wangaratta Rovers took out the Leo Burke Reserves Best and Fairest, while Wodonga Young Gun, Ian McGregor, won the Leo Dean Thirds Best and Fairest. Daryl Bakes, with 108 goals, won the Seniors Goal Kicking, with Jeff Elkington Wodonga winning the Reserves and David Segler, Wodonga winning the thirds. Wodonga took out the club championship award with Badala runner-up. Tony Hughes said after a slow start, 
him and Daryl Bakes became good mates. Yeah, Bakes and I got on reasonably well. He was probably the, the main limelight there, I suppose, and I, I took a little bit of shine off him, I think, here and there in a couple of games. But we got on all right. We were having a shower after the game, and all the boys were singing the song, and he came up and gave me a hug in the shower of all places. And he said to me, Tone, he said, I wasn't real keen on you when you got here. I don't mind you as a player now. You're all right, bud. And give me a hug. So from that day on, we uh, we got on pretty good. So <laughs> good player, Daryl. Good fella, too. We finished up yeah, getting on pretty good. The Wangaratta Showground was the venue for the qualifying final between Lavington and Wangaratta Rovers, with the temperatures reaching 24 degrees. Lavington, after leading by 35 points 10 minutes into the final quarter, had to survive a huge comeback from the Wangaratta Rovers before holding on to win by eight points. The Mercury stayed up, and it was 25 degrees on Sunday for the elimination final at the Aubrey Sports Ground between North Aubrey and Wodonga. The two teams had met the previous week, with Wodonga winning by four goals. In front of a record gate, a Martin Cross coaching masterclass orchestrated a massive turnaround as North Aubrey thrashed Wodonga by 74 points, with Anthony McTavish kicking eight goals. Martin Park was the venue for the second semi-final clash between Aubrey and Lavington, with the Blues having beaten Aubrey on both occasions during the season. Aubrey made just one change from round 18, bringing in Graham Charles for Rob Moran. In the times vicious and explosive opening, Aubrey kicked the first three goals, but it was Lavington who hit back with the next four goals as Aubrey players sought retribution after Neville Hensel had been felled as Lavington led by five points at quarter time. Four goals each in the third quarter had Lavington leading by 21 points going into the final term. The Blues looked home, kicked the first three goals of this last quarter and they stretched the lead to 39 points after just nine minutes. But like the previous week against the Wangaratta Rovers, Lavington faded the game. Tony Hughes and Peter Cross took over in the midfield and after a few near misses, Tom Doolan kicked two goals. Graham Charles, Daryl Bakes, Jay McNeil and David Doolan all added goals as all of a sudden the Blues were staggering until Adrian Koshell kicked the sealer for Lavington in the last minute to snatch a two-point win in front of 4,200 fans. The following day, Wangaratta Rovers and North Aubrey played out an absolute cracking first semi-final in front of another record gate, with the Rovers winning a 37-goal shootout at Lavington Sports Ground, 20 goals 13 to the Hoppers 17-15. This meant Wangaratta Rovers would meet Aubrey in the 1982 preliminary final at Lavington. In great news for the Tigers, their thirds had won back-to-back elimination finals to also advance to the preliminary final against the Hawks. They had accounted for Coral Rutherglen by 45 points in the elimination final and then knocked off the highly fancied Benalla side by 40 points in week two. Aubrey selectors made one change for the preliminary final, recalling speedy Brendan Wenke and omitting Richard Fisher. Wenke said it was a nervous and competitive time around selection. Yeah, look, it was a really had to do for a spot all year. And you know, I came in as a half-forward flanker, midfielder, and then ended up in the back line because there's so, you know, so many good players in the team. Getting dropped at that time of year is, is always, you know, you just had to keep training hard and doing your best. And, and I even remember, not sure if it was, it was preliminary final or grand final week, but we're doing circle work and 
Larry Walls, who was also, you know, looking for a spot in the team. I could throw him out of the corner of my eye and he pretty much lining me up. So, yeah, it's very competitive. <laughs> all, all, all in, all in um, you know, all in, in, in the right spirit. But uh, it was, you know, we got it, it circle work got uh, even competitive towards the end for, uh, you know, impressing the, the coaches and selectors to get, you know, get a spot in the team that, you know, would go on and uh, ultimately win. Ended up being a, a magic day for us all and uh, just uh, the jubilation and happiness for players and supporters was... Um, Something I always remember. It was a special win. Five and a half thousand supporters flocked to the Lavington Sports Ground and witnessed an even first half with Aubrey overcoming a 10-point quarter-time deficit to lead the Rovers at the long break by three points. A tired and leg-weary Wangaratta Rovers could not maintain the effort after half-time with Aubrey kicking 11 goals to five to run out 36-point winners and another crack at its nemesis all year, Lavington in the grand final. Peter Taylor, Mark Britton and Steve Buckle in his 100th game were magnificent in defence, but it was the leg speed and the ball carry from Jay McNeil, Tony Hughes, Neville Hensel, Steve and David Doolan that eventually flattened the Hawks, who, for the second year in a row, lost a preliminary final. Buckle explains the club was driven by the previous year's disappointment. You know, we were pretty devastated. A lot of the guys that had been around for a number of years, you know, we sort of sat back and watched the glory years of Wangaratta Rovers. When we sort of got to the mountain ourselves in 81 and then lost the way that it happened, we were pretty shattered. I I guess there was a lot of credit to be given to the administrators of the club who were responsible for recruiting. For Tom, the coaches, Lyle Stewart, assistant coach and coach in the reserves, to hold the group together after a shattering experience like that was, you know, was a wonderful achievement. Right from day one in in 82, you could get a feeling that there was some unfinished business. Although we beat by Lavington two times previously during the season, the whole season, you know, seemed to go pretty right. When you get into finals, and particularly grand finals, a little bit of luck helps. If it's not a, a bit of good luck, then you don't really need any bad luck. And we'd had we had some experiences in 81 and 83 where we probably had things didn't go our way during the grand final and ultimately it cost us. So, But in 82, it all went pretty well our way and obviously we got the result. The Tigers-Ferds again defied the odds to win its way into the grand final against Wodonga by defeating Wangaratta Rovers by 15 points after great games by Tim Payne, Jeff Milliken, Mick Brown, David McNeil and Stephen Prosser. Unfortunately, they went down in the grand final to a very strong Wodonga side by 65 points. So, all that was required to complete a memorable year at Tigerland and break a 16-year premiership drought was fine away to beat Lavington, who were the only team Aubrey had not beaten all season. This, however, did not phase coach Tom Doolan. You know, I don't think we ever were really that concerned. I mean, we, we, were, we, we were gonna win. No matter, that was the, the bottom line is that we had to win. We didn't have a choice. We had to get in the grand final and then we had to win it. We couldn't get to the grand final and lose it. A mindset more than anything else, I think. Yeah, but it's always dangerous when you win it, like the year before, when you win a, you know, a second semi by a lot and you don't play the following week and you don't, you can't really change the side if you win by 90 points. So we definitely didn't have that problem. We, we had the battle all the way through, and we played that next week, which I, I don't think hurt. Not in, that, not in the competition like the O&M, anyway. Lavington were admitted to the league in 1979, and this was their first grand final. With the 1981 elimination final defeat, its only previous finals appearance in the Ovens of Murray Football League. 
The second semi-final was a fiery and at times spiteful encounter, with several players deemed lucky not to be on report. The grand final was to be no exception, with the Aubrey Banner having a real crack at the perceived financial support by the Lavington Sports Club being afforded to the Lavington Football Club. The other side of the Aubrey Banner, Graham, it was two-sided and uh, it was a bit of a dig at uh, Lavington, as a matter of fact, it said uh, no need for pokies for today's jackpot. So it's a little bit of a dig there, I think. Aubrey had won 10 premierships since its first in 1902 and had been runners-up 12 times. The route into this year's decider was a direct opposite to last year's fateful decider against Wodonga. Aubrey had 12 players surviving from last year's grand final loss. The only change to the preliminary final side was Graham Charles missing with an injured ankle. He was replaced by Richard Fisher, who had only missed two games during the season. Tommy Doolan also recruited some extra help on the bench with the legend Bob Spargo back on deck. When he was sitting on the bench, he said, Go out and tell those six backmen just to hold their man, you know, to play close to them, you know, like don't hold on jumper. You've got to be that close to them the whole time. Real old fashioned rather than, you know, chasing kicks sort of. During the grand final, Bobby was actually that excitable. He was <laughs> a couple of dry reaches. He was very very excitable man, Bobby. Yeah, he was around the back of the league, but sick he reckoned for a while. Sort of a guest advisor on the bank. Brought the big guns in. We'd lost the year before, so we needed the big guns in. That's what happened. 12,000 sun-soaked fans were packed into Wodonga's Martin Park with the two VFL umpires being Glenn James and Rowan Soares in charge. Both James and Soares would umpire the VFL Grand Final the following week between Carlton and Richmond. Here's the start, 82 Grand Final, Albury versus Lavington. First bounce, up it goes, a big bounce too. Two men get it, Leslie doesn't really get the tap, it's punched away by Albury across there to Doolan. In a fiery opening, both umpires were kept busy with several reports and plenty of brawls erupting. A handball back to Bakes, a pretty poor handball as you saw. Oh, that's a backhanded uh, one you saw there and that's possibly one of the worst things I've seen on camera, Jim. That's a goal to Albury in the meantime, but whoa, what the umpires missed there. Well, here it is. That should be right on too. That's absolutely pathetic what we just saw there. Well, there's an Orby player down. He looks as though he could be pretty badly hurt too, Graham. And uh, well, you also saw a Lavington player. And, uh, camera doesn't tell no, lies. No, my word, it doesn't. There's two players down and they were met very heavily there. One How of, come the umpire missed? I don't know. And it looks like Bakes could be on the ground. Oh, there's, there's a runner going. in it. Three players would be outed for a total of 13 weeks, with Aubrey's Jay McNeil copping five weeks for two separate incidents. Four weeks for elbowing Doug Norton-Smith and one week for striking Barry Wise. Bakes got three weeks for striking Jeff Ramsdale, while Doug Norton-Smith got five weeks for elbowing Bakes. Aubrey had made the perfect start, running harder and straighter in a brilliant eight-gold opening term as they found the perfect mix of aggression and teamwork with Tony Hughes, David Doolan, Peter Gorski, Jay McNeil and Steve Doolan dominating the midfield. Tom Doolan and Steve Buckle explained a few positional changes that paid off. Gorski went to the wing, Hughes went to the centre, Hensel went on the other wing, and, and Gorski said that he actually picked up Paul Lawrence, and David, Paul Lawrence had given David a couple of hard games during the year, and David was one of our guns, freed up David, and, and he had a great game, and it all sort of worked out. Half forward line finished up being Steve Doolan, myself, and Jay McNeil. Barry played in the forward pocket, but it all sort of, it all just worked out on the day.
Tom used to talk to us. I remember he rang me one day and I was over at work. Somehow we got to the subject of Peter Gorski and sort of had his nose broken. You know, it sort of was a bit of a feeling that we hadn't seen the best of him, if that's the way to, during the finals. And during the conversation with Tom, look, it's none of my business, but have you considered maybe moving Gorski into a position? You know, he's a bit more out on his own and maybe he's not so conscious of his nose. That's how we came to the idea of maybe he could play on a wing and then move David Doolan into a more an on-ball role. And, and that was the end of the conversation. When we come to grand final day, Gorky played on the wing and David played on the ball and we, uh, we got the chocolates. Tom and the selectors and I think... Bobby Spargo apparently was involved in that. As um, it was a good move, to, we both we got the best out of both the boys. Brilliant intercepting down back by Terry Cross and Brendan Wenke had set up the Tigers' fourth and fifth goals. Uh, he's gone for the short cut. Oh, well played uh, there by Terry Cross who cut off the play uh, from the Lavington with a short pass. It's over the back. Here's a chance with Doug Norton-Smith. Norton-Smith comes across. He's uh, caught there by Steve Doolan. Gets a kick in. Picked up now by Tommy Doolan. He breaks away with a hand pass to Stephen Doolan. A hand pass across to Jay McNeil. McNeil lines him up from 15 out. Looks pretty good. Let's watch the umpire. He says all clear. It's Aubrey's fourth goal. 4-2. 26 to Lavington, two behinds, and time it goes to Mark Stewart. He kicks the ball out to nowhere particular. Brendan Wenke, the ex-Walla player, barges through two players, gets the ball away. Over towards Tom Doolan. Doolan controls the ball well. Play on, has a chance for Byatt on his own. Up he goes towards Byatt. Byatt collects the ball nicely and nearly collected a little bit more too for his corner as uh, he takes that uh, mark around about 35 metres out. In fact, right in uh, in front of the scoreboard is uh, Phil Byatt, the, uh, the ex-Upper Murray player, now down here at Albury and uh, has been a very, very good player for them in the forward pocket. Byatt throws the ball on the boot. Looks uh, pretty good uh, by the crowd behind, waiting on the umpire. It's all clear. So Aubrey's fifth goal comes up. They go down to five goals, two, 32 to Lavington, one, two, eight. Not long after, brilliant reading of the play, set up back-to-back -back goals by David Doolan as the Tigers stretch the lead to 31 points. Byatt it is with a chance to bring up another major for Aubrey. There he goes. It's a long kick. It's right into the goal square. It's going to land right in uh, the goal square. And it's oh, nearly marked there, two laving the players together. Picked up by David Doolan. I think he's put it through. He has. David Doolan kicks Aubrey's sixth goal. Well, up it goes. It's a very big kick. Up they go over the back, and it's the McNeil flew well. Uh, wise with the ball. Gee, he's slow. He's caught with the ball. Play on, says the umpire. Here's a chance for two Albury players. David Doolan's got the ball, and he's running and put it through. Well, uh, Wise caught out of position, Jim, uh, that time. is uh, a little bit slow, looks to me, at the moment. Uh, that's twice he's been caught with the ball trying to get around the pack. Yes, that's quite right, but what I liked was the blistering pace of David Doolan there. He was the opportunist. He came in and uh, grabbed that ball very confident, and there's a lot of Albury players now. They're playing particularly confident at the moment, and uh, I think Lavin have got a big fight back here at the moment. To complete a brilliant quarter, coach Tom Doolan drilled home a goal in the final minute to lead the Tigers leading by 37 points at quarter time. Peter Cross gold at the five minute mark of the second quarter to extend the lead to 43 points. Lavington then had its best patch of the game as it booted the next three golds to get the margin back to 27 points. David Doolan, who along with Tony Hughes were dominating midfield, then had three chances to get goals in less than two minutes. Here's a play on now to David Doolan, another chance. 40 metres out, lines them up, no one's going to get near it. It's going to go through. Umpire said one point. 
Tension right up at the moment. Doolan had all the chance in the world that time. And uh, Warren with a big kick out towards that defending flag. Up they go. Murphy couldn't control the ball. Down it comes towards Albury. They've got a chance. Doolan's got a chance to atone this time. Kicks it towards goal. Again, the wrong side of the uh, the majors. And right, well, uh, Warren it is now kicking in well too. And kicks a big one up towards uh, this time. Looking for Kenny Roberts. Up goes Roberts. Couldn't control it. Held. Uh, but Hensel gets the ball away. Has a chance for Bakes. Stevens is in front. Over the top it is there uh, with Stevens now uh, in, the, in the van. About a metre in front of Bakes. He pushes the ball out towards the boundary line. Picked up by Aubrey. Hand forced pass to David Doolan. This time, couldn't miss. And has. This, oh. this could cost Aubrey the game, Graham. These uh, bad misses here, they're very, very bad misses. They're hurried and they're not lining them up properly. And as I said, they're coming in from the angle. And this could be very costly for Aubrey. Well, three shots there by David Doolan for three behinds. Would you believe it? 20 seconds later, his brother Tom also kicked the behind. Not long after, it was Tom Doolan who set up a Jay McNeil gold. And then 15 seconds after the bounce, wingman Neville Hensel drilled home a great running gold to extend the lead back to 43 points. Up they go. Leslie gets a good tap to Tom Doolan. Doesn't do much with it, though. Down it goes this time. Here's a chance now for Tom Doolan following on. Oh, he's caught with the ball. No, handball on to Bake. Getting a handball on to McNeil. McNeil runs around two players. Snaps one over the shoulder. And I think they've found the right spot this time. A lot of playing around by Aubrey, but finally good players. They, uh, uh, Bakes got the ball finally over to McNeil, and uh, there's a goal for Aubrey, taking them into the double figures with the big ones, and they go to 10-9-69, leading Lavington 5-2-32. That goal will boost uh, McNeil, having been just reported, and he'll probably forget about being reported now, and uh, that goal could do him the world of good. Well, the free kick uh, from a centre square infringement stand to Aubrey. Here's Hensel. Shut the gate on this. He's got all the time in the world, and has to puts it through for another goal within 15 seconds although from a free kick from a centre bounce infringement and uh, umpire Glenn James I noticed too going down to talk to the Lavington player about something I don't know what it was but uh, talking to Lavington player explaining what that free kick was for another goal to uh, Albury they go to 11 goals 9 now and that will be uh, 75 to Lavington 5-2-32 At the start of time on some inspirational play from halfback flanker Mark Britton set up at Darrell Bakes gold as the lead went out to 49 points. Mark Stewart. Stewart couldn't uh, control the ball, up one-handed. Down comes Britton playing a great game from Albury. He goes down through onto the half-four line. In fact, he's put the ball right into the goal square. Bakes it is who had a chance. Here's a chance now for Bakes. Bakes will put it through. It's a goal to Albury. Two Lavington players going up there and Bakes left all on his own. Took all the time in the world. A great play by Mark Britton on the uh, halfback flank to put the ball right down there, Jim. That was probably the best dashing of, uh, piece of play of the day. It was the play of the day, Graham. Another great snap goal for Jay McNeil just before half-time was a blow to Lavington, who had kicked two goals just before, courtesy of Peter Murray and Peter King. Both sides kicked six goals as Aubrey led by 43 points at half-time. Doug Norton-Smith, who had a quiet first half, kicked an early goal for Lavington, but was answered immediately by Byte with his third. No more goals were kicked for the next 13 minutes until Darrell Bakes kicked two goals in under a minute to extend the Tigers' lead to a game-high 52 points. Here we go, Jay McNeil. Up he goes in front and takes an easy mark in front of his opponent there. He goes for a short pass looking for Bakes. It's in. It's a beautiful pass. Good lead. Darrell Bakes with the ball now about to line up to and it looks uh, pretty good from here too. Beautiful 
kicks. 16th yeah. goal to Albury as they go now to 16-11-107 to Lavington 9-7-61. You don't often see the Albury side with 16 goals on the board and only two goals to Darrell Bates. Mark Stewart getting the knock, but it's gone down to John Brown, the interchange player for Albury. He kicks it out in the no-man's land. It's Copley leading in the race of the ball. He picks it up uh, just in front of McNeil, who uh, actually uh, looked like uh, footsteps. Bakes it is with the ball. He's played on, gone for a direct kick, and that's straight through the centre for Bakes third. Albury's uh, 17th, and they go to 17-11-107, Lavington were lifted by a long-range goal from coach Ken Roberts, then another from Doug Norton-Smith to give them hope. And then Paul Lawrence brought the crowd to life with a 70-metre bomb to get the margin back to 34 points, which was to be the three-quarter time deficit. Right up goes the ball again. Leslie uh, doesn't get the tap out. It's Mack. It's got it. Beaumont gets a handball out to Paul Lawrence. Has laving the new attack. Oh, there's a long kick from Lawrence. It could just about bounce through and has. It has. It's bounced through. What great play by Lavington. Oh, that's lifted them. It was a great goal by Lawrence. Koshiel drew Taylor right up the ground. And uh, that, that uh, great football by Beaumont, who's in the centre now, Jim. Yes, and uh, Tom Dillon coming down from centre-half forward to have a few well-chosen words to his players about letting the ball come out of the centre so easy. With memory of last year's loss and a stirring Tom Dillon three-quarter time address, Aubrey were not letting this premiership slip as they came out with the tiger of old spirit, booting four of the first five goals of the quarter with best on ground, Tony Hughes sealing the win with a great running goal. He's done well. Here's a chance now for Beaumont. Beaumont up for oh, around the neck, maybe. Play on, says the umpire. Here's a chance for Hughes. Hughes runs into the open goal. And it's another one to Aubrey. And any, ever, any shadow of doubt, who is best man on the ground, Hughes has just put the sealer on it because he's played play. a magnificent game this afternoon. He'd get my vote as the best player, no doubt about it. For Hughes, it not only capped off a great game, but a final series in general, for which he was rewarded. Oh, it was a pretty good build-up. was over at Wodonga um, against Lavi and there wasn't much between us all year. And Yeah, it turned out to just be a cracking day and fell our way at the end of the day. Had the game in control most of the, for the day. That You know, we didn't have a, we had a pretty good side. I wasn't expecting to obviously turn up at Albury, but I think just one more just really balanced us right out. We finished up with a nice side. We had some good players there. Uh, well, I was driving to the game and my auntie rang me up. She said, did you realise you're one point behind in this count that uh, one of the radio stations had on for a trip to Perth? And I said, no, but what happens? She said, yeah, your coach was one point in front here. So we went out and played the game and I had a pretty good, I had a pretty good game and I think Tom might have kicked, picked up seven points and I picked up nine and I got over the top of him by one point. So <laughs> it was a trip over to Western Australia for a week, uh, accommodation, flights and whatever. So yeah, it was... I hope you took Tommy Doolan over. <laughs> no, no, no. Tommy asked me for a ticket but I told him I had someone a little bit better looking than Tommy to go with me for a week in Perth. So <laughs> Tommy got put on the bench. <laughs> Not long after, lion-hearted ruckman Trevor Leslie made an inspiring tackle that teammate Peter Taylor said typified the big man's season and game. Trevor Leslie rucked all day that and hardly lost it and he created so much in terms of his effort and I reckon that he was a bit of an unsung hero for that day because he's a quiet fellow but Trevor Leslie on that day needs to be really attributed to having a major influence on how we went that day. If we hadn't had him he was just rucked tirelessly all day and uh, he did some great work. Tom Doolan put the nail on the Blues coffin after taking a strong mark and goal to make the margin 53 points. Lavington kicked the final three goals, but it was the Tigers' day and they celebrated a comprehensive 34-point victory as the siren sounded and the Tigers of old were once again strong and bold. As Glenn James comes in, says my ball, as the siren goes for the end of the grand final, 1982, 
And uh, Albury final scores 21 15, 141. Lavington 16 11, 107. And have a look at the crowd all over the ground and uh, the Tigers theme song coming over the top of us. A very, very happy Albury side. And congratulations to them on a great win. Now, here to summarise the game is Jim Robertson. Thank you, Graham. Well, Albury certainly atoned for last year's defeat right from the very start today. They were the top side. They got on top in the first quarter. They had Hughes, obviously best man on the ground, a magnificent contributor, but he was well backed up by 17 other players. They were magnificently led by Tom Doolan. Their defence was led by Peter Taylor. And I thought the Albury side did not have any weakness in it at all today. I think it was a tribute to the coaching this year of Tom Doolan. Lavington had the edge on them during the year. Three defeats at the hands of the Blues. Oh, the Albury side obviously did a tremendous amount of homework on those three defeats and it paid off today. Full congratulations to the Albury camp, a magnificent victory. And I think full congratulations to one of the best young footballers I've seen in Owens and Murray football for many a day in young Tony Hughes. But a great victory to the Albury side. <laughs> Fullback Peter Taylor, who nullified Lavington sharpshooter Adrian Koshell, said they had the team, they just needed to be mentally strong. And the preliminary final win added to that belief. Ability-wise, strength-wise, we knew we had that. It's just about how you come together and never want to accept anything better than being best at the ball at the moment on the day. And our guys, you had that feeling that we just, we wanted to make sure that we were going to be the winners on the day. And if you look at when we got first of the ball on that uh, game, you could see that we were very much nearly first of the ball a lot of the time. And we also played a much more running game. And I have to probably give a Tom a fair bit of credit and those guys because our training really centred around running on completely. Yeah, it's just, it's honestly, it's about a mental thing. Anything at that level gets to be a mental thing. We had the side. You only have to look. You've got uh, Gorski and Co. all Morris medalists, great players like the Crosses. And the balance of the side was really, really got Basie up forward. He was a leading goal kicker for the year. And I think, um, I think coming into a final, and if we had have gone out of that final, giving up a lead and losing by that much, but in the end, we came back from a, a long way back to nearly taking it. And I think when you do that, that actually creates a bit of metal within the side, say that, yeah, look, we can, we've just got to be better at the beginning. We've got to go a bit, got to go harder at the early. And if you notice, what happened in that grand final is that we went out and kicked, I think, well, it was five or six goals at the beginning, which is what we weren't doing. Yeah, we got to start, which we hadn't done before. So that was the big thing. And I think that was probably when we went out there, we knew what we had to do. While Steve Buckle said the premiership is celebrated yearly at a function. You know, the wives, the girlfriends, the girls were also an integral part in the club. We, um, since that year, every first Saturday in December, there's a bunch of us and our wives and everyone, we have a dinner every year. It's been going, obviously, for 40 years. It rotates from house to house. So uh, some of us have hosted it twice. And it's just, just a get-together. And it's it's not necessarily all players, it's administrators, coaches, selectors, all sorts of people. The club was a great place to be and everyone was close and the women had a really huge part to play in that. Peter Gorski reflected on what he says was a perfect year personally and for the club. 
From a personal point of view, it was a dream come true. Loved the openness of the game and how fast the game was and the skill level. And we had a very, very professional team. Everyone played very well in their position. Great team environment, great team ethic. There was a lot of camaraderie in there. Everyone had a nickname, like Tom was Cockroach and, and Daryl Bakes of Full Four was Bocker and there was Peter Taylor who was head. And, and then the, the two larrikins of the club, Jay McNeil and Daryl Bake, they started calling me the bear. 18, I started losing my hair. And from play school, they'd be singing to me the bear with no hair. Bear with no hair. And there's a chair as well. And they'd be singing this to me. And it just made you feel so comfortable within the club. I was a new player. No one knew me for for bar soap. And and I just fitted in and they made me feel so welcome. And then they made names like Kevin Bartlett was playing, KB, because they said I wouldn't pass the ball. So they called me. I was hungry. They called me KB. And then the Pope at the time wouldn't pass the pill. So they'll call me the Pope. They're saying, you you won't pass. Very, uh, it was just a great atmosphere and a great club to be involved with. On the personal aspects, you know, did win the club best and fairest and win the Morris medal on top of that, win the premiership. It's something every player, I'm sure, dreams of being involved in a year like that. The final words, though, the veteran of the side and four-time club best and fairest, Terry Cross, finally got a premiership in his 198th game. That was the most games I played in the season. Played 25. Ten minutes into the first quarter of that bloody grand final, I pulled a muscle in the thigh. It didn't affect running. It only affected me when I was trying to kick. I could only kick about 35 metres on the right foot. So, And the left foot was covered about the same distance, so it just kicked on the left foot. My 12th season, yeah, the first one for 16 years. It was huge, yeah. When you consider the first couple of years, I only won a couple of games, to go through all the ups and downs and just see progress to that stage and then when the letdown from the year before, it was uh, was quite something. It was relief and it was a joy. We were a bit more focused from the year before, just ready to go. Probably there to do a job, and after the year before, we one way of going about it. While brother Peter said the will to win and redemption from 1981 was a big factor. Particularly after losing the year before, after winning the second semi by so much and got outplayed in the grand final, I think feeling amongst the group is we weren't going to let it slip this year. And even though Lavi had beaten us three times before, as I remember it, yeah, second semi, we got a bit of confidence out of that. I don't know why, we just went into the grand final knowing we could win it. Anyway, it proved right. She was a big night for the club, 16 years. It doesn't sound long, but it, it was. And particularly after losing the year before, which turned us on a bit. We picked up two really good players. Like Peter Gorski was a phenomenal player. He, him and, like, as I, I didn't realise he usually come halfway through the year. But anyway, he's, he's, when he did come, him and Gorski just give us a bit more class around the midfield. You know, strength and ball-winning ability. And just made us such a better side. Proved by his two years he was there, Gorski, he was a, he was a good player. I don't want to say it too loud, mate. He might get a big head. <laughs> you know, I don't remember much of the second semi. I do remember we had kick 17-22 or something. So obviously we had our chances to probably to win it. Probably what spurned us on that we knew we could beat them. And anyway, yeah, probably better having that prelim in the middle there and having a game and yeah, just getting it right, I suppose. The Aubrey 1982 Premiership team from the back line. Brendan Wenke, Peter Taylor, Steve Buckle, halfbacks, Terry Cross, Rod Coelli, Mark Britton, centreline, Neville Hensel, Tony Hughes, Peter Gorski, half forwards, 
Jay McNeil, Tom Doolan, Steve Doolan. The forward line, Phil Bight, Daryl Bakes, Barry Gipp. Rucks, Trevor Leslie, Peter Cross and David Doolan. Interchange, John Brown and Richard Fisher. Well, there you have it. A much better result for the Tigers than the previous year. Again, a massive thank you to episode sponsors, Aubrey Tigers Football and Netball Club, Brendan Wanky, SG Hiscock, David Doolan at DMP Asset Management Group and Tom Doolan at Republican Melbourne Function Venues and Corporate Event Facilities. Don't forget, if you want your great sporting moment or story captured into a timeless historical piece, get in touch with us at Glory Days. But for now, thank you for listening, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time on Glory Days.